back, all you nerds. This is Nerdy by Nature. I'm one of your hosts, Agent Smith, a.k.a. Tyler. And I'm Charlie, a.k.a. Captain Rogers. And as we promised on our last episode, in this edition, we are going to go over a review of Batman The Killing Joke, which is written by Alan Moore, the graphic novelist, and beautifully drawn by Brian Boland. And it is a classic graphic novel. It's one that really allows you to dive into the mythos and quote-unquote loose backstory of the Joker, how he becomes to be. And it also offers us some insight into how we got some of our iconic scenes from movies like The Dark Knight, and presumably some scenes that we'll see in the new-to-release Joker film, simply dubbed Joker, coming out this week. It'll be released this weekend. It features Joaquin Phoenix, Zazie Beetz, and Robert De Niro. So, Charlie, with this particular graphic novel, Batman the Killing Joke, uh, what were some of your key moments that you noticed and kind of get us up to speed with what the readers can expect if they haven't read it before? Well, I really like this graphic novel just because it's amazing writing, for one thing. Uh, Alan Moore, obviously, he's brilliant and great writer. Also a wizard, you forgot to put that in mm, with his I should, occupation. I should have mentioned that he is a warlock on the side. Uh-huh. But um, <laughs> it's just a very gritty and realistic... I guess if you could say that take on superheroes and villains and it just feels more like a detective and serial killer crime drama if you will for sure. me very interesting portrayal of the Joker a lot more brutal and violent than you really see him in anything else I forgot how short of a story it was and it left me wanting more and by the time I was done with it I was just like no that can't in the end there's got to be more you know i mean it's just a lot shorter than i remembered for me as well and you know on the last episode when we said that we were going to do this particular graphic novel review i had the same feeling i opened i cracked it open at the house and realized oh yeah this is less than 50 pages right yeah <laughs> and before we we dive full-on into batman the killing joke of course i want to take a moment just to let those of you listening know spoiler alert we are about to go over it not page by page but pretty close we're going to hit all the highlights and go over the, the key moments of this graphic novel so beautifully written by by Alan Moore and perfectly drawn by Brian Boland. Oh yeah, the art's fantastic as well. And so let's just get right into it. So I mean, you know, the first two pages don't even really have much in the way of any at all dialogue. But we start off a, a nice joke, and I love it. It's on the second page, and it's a little placard on the desk there. You see, of course, you're, it's a rainy night there at Arkham Asylum, and Batman is on the prowl trying to meet Jim Gordon. He's going to talk to, presumably, of course, the Joker. Right. And uh, the placard says, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. <laughs> and so it, it's just right off the, the bat there, it gives you a nice little comedic relief because this one gets heavy pretty quickly after that. Oh, yeah. And you really have to look for it too, because I didn't see that for the, the first time I it's read through it. But but yeah, a quick little light-hearted thing before it goes into a very very dark story and all of the craziness, <laughs> right? And you know, it it starts out so well, and it's just such a, a smart way. I think that's a testament to Alan Moore when he tells a story. He's just so brilliant at it. You know, we see the iconic 
solitaire Joker sitting there, mm-hmm. just one little dim light lighting up the room. Batman, this ominous figure coming in, sitting down, saying that he wants to talk. He wants to talk about them, mm-hmm. how they're going to play out. He fears that one might end up killing the other. He's not really sure which one that's going to be. And of course, the whole time in typical Joker fashion, he just keeps slapping down cards and right. just almost essentially purposefully ignoring the Batman yeah. just to upset him. And that whole scene, honestly, well, I was going to say it was pulled straight out of the Dark Knight, but actually the scene in the Dark Knight was pulled straight out of this. Uh, it just reminded me, and like through that whole conversation, I had, you know, oh, what's his name? He plays Batman. Heath Ledger. No, Batman. Batman, oh. <laughs> Kevin Conroy. No. <laughs> Christian Bale. That one, yeah. We'll get it eventually, folks. Yeah. Now, in that scene, I was just imagining Christian Bale's voice in my head just because I remembered that scene from The Dark Knight. It just was so similar. I mean, the, the conversation was a little different, but the setting, when he first goes in and sees the Joker sitting in the interrogation room when they finally get him in the in the precinct. And it's it just, eerily similar because he's got that, that one lamp just kind of shown right. over his face. And then, right. of course, the next thing you see, obviously, is him slamming his head onto the, the table. Right. Um, and, and yeah, no, it's it's very reminiscent of that for sure. So I have to ask, so since you essentially heard the Christian Bale voice for this portrayal of Batman, did you stick with Bale throughout the rest of the, the graphic novel? I will say for Batman, I did stick with Christian Bale. I, I never really, like, I mean, I've seen it on and off throughout my life, but I'd wasn't near as big into the Batman animated series as you are. So Fair enough. Christian Bale just right now is who popped into my head. And I mean, it might have been Ben Affleck if it wasn't for that scene being so similar to the scene in The Dark Knight. But I will say that this Joker didn't ever come through as Heath Ledger for me. It Throughout the whole thing, it was Mark Hamill. I have to, I have to agree with that. I, I tried reading it over. I thought, okay, let's see which one sounds the most appropriate right. or the most accurate for the way that the Joker is portrayed in, in this, The Killing Joke. And yeah, I, I just felt the more that I heard Mark Hamill and that iconic laugh from the animated series, mm-hmm. I was like, this, this fits his verbiage and his tone and his dialogue. And now, going back to what I said before, I wasn't that big into the animated series but i guess like i don't know why mark hamill comes to mind if i wasn't that big into the animated series i guess it was just such an iconic thing i've seen it in other things and obviously he's he's done the voice of the joker in more than just the animated series but i mean it was it just that joker portrayal in this book looked and felt more like hamill's joker in whatever hamill's done the joker in i think so i think even the the way that they set up how he became the Joker was also somewhat reminiscent of Jack Nicholson's version yeah. in the original Tim Burton film. Definitely. And we get a pretty cool quote on the, the hardcover slip here by Tim Burton, who said, uh, you know, I love The Killing Joke. It's my favorite. It's the first comic I ever loved. So yeah. safe to say that he probably drew heavily from this oh, when, when making the, the Batman film for Jack Nicholson's character. Um, and then, of course, from there, you know, with the twist happens where we realize that this is just an imposter. It's right. not really the Joker. Right. Because we see after Batman finally snaps and says, are you even listening? And grabs his hand and then goes to look at his hands and realizes there's a little bit of white powdery paint substance. Right. And that's important to know, of course, in this particular graphic novel, we come to find out that I feel like the most widely accepted, I'll put this in air quotes, backstory for origin for the Joker is that he falls into a vast 
of acids. Right. And that, of course, bleaches his skin, turns right. it into that iconic white color that we're, you know, pasty color that we're used to seeing. And so that's when Batman realizes, oh boy, we've got a problem. He's right. escaped Arkham again. He's on the loose. Which, and just going back to that again, that just drawing the differences and similarities between the movies and the animated series and the comic books, it's just funny because... You know, this particular Joker has the bleached skin, not the makeup. And in The Dark Knight, Heath Ledger's Joker had the makeup, not bleached skin. So it just, the differences and similarities are just all over the place. And it's really funny to me. And it's fun to to play around with, too, as you read it and think about that. Right. Going back and forth. Um, And then from there, you know, it just really, again, goes into a a nice... I guess we can say kind of sapia or black and white yeah. backstory and shows him being a failed comedian, which of course is going to be the, the way that the Joker starts with Walking Phoenix, the best of our knowledge. That's at least how all the trailers have set it up, that right. he is a, a failed comic. Yeah, and now from what I've heard, that particular backstory of the Joker is where they pulled from was this series. And of course, you know, I'm one of the ones that really doesn't like the Joker to have a backstory. I'd much, much rather him be like the Heath Ledger type that tells a different story every time he talks to somebody or, you know, what he says, like that line in there. What is it? If I had a backstory, I would prefer it to be yeah, yeah, so it's multiple toward, choice. It's towards the end and he says, if I if I had a past, I'd prefer it to be multiple choice. Yeah. And then he starts to, to laugh. And I just, it's the second I read that, I immediately thought of those cutscenes in The Dark Knight where Ledger has a different victim every time and says, you want to know how I got these scars? Right. And then he proceeds to tell him a different story completely. And that's just a, not only a credit to Heath Ledger's acting ability and drawing from this material, right. but also, you know, just the, the sheer fact that this is a a villain that's completely lost his marbles, suffering from absolute lunacy. Reality is pretty much stripped away at this point. To him, reality as a whole is just a big joke right. that, he, that he can laugh at. And so it's the world is his oyster, right. and he's got it turned upside down and can shake it like a snow globe whenever he sees fit. Right, and like I was saying, I am one of the ones that that prefers the no backstory for the Joker or the, you know, you don't know what the backstory really is. And so that was kind of a concern for me with this new Joker movie when they first announced it and first told what they were doing and everything. But after reading this again and remembering that they did that in this story, it did help to soften that a little bit for me. And so I'm a lot, a lot more excited for the movie. I'm I'm very excited for for the movie and I, I can't wait to watch it and, give it a full nerdy by nature review definitely no doubt but i think that's a great point because you know the the whole reason why it's important for the joker to more or less not have a a solid backstory is simply because it makes him unpredictable you know most of your villains they've got a backstory the hero knows their achilles heel so to speak they have a motive they have a motive Mm -hmm. but with the joker i mean this guy is just a, a loose cannon unpredictable you never know what he's going to do next or how far he's going to take it because he could actually just be joking the entire time or he can go 180 and it's not pretty and he finds it hilarious but (laughs) of course nobody else does it's a very somber and serious subject yeah that just and that just makes his character the scarier i mean it it's just it's terrifying to think of somebody that you don't know where they came from who they are what they've been through or what they're planning to do it's just like he's ledger's joker he likes to watch the world burn. That's the extent of it. Right. I took t- the line right out of my mouth. I was about to say, we get that line, you mm-hmm. know, from Michael Keaton. Or Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. <laughs> well, that was quite a pull. 
Quite a pull. Quite a pull. Michael Caine. Yeah. If you will. Close. That's close. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it in the comment section, folks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, some men just want to watch the world burn, and that's exactly who the Joker is. And speaking of him being scary and off the handle, we get that in the next couple pages where he starts to unfold. He's out, he's purchased mm -hmm. this crazy carnival, and of course, he's still a villain at the end of the day, so he's got a plan. Right. And he's out to prove a point, and he starts at the home of the Gordons. Of course, Jim Gordon there, putting together clippings. He's, we get the, the feeling very much so that he's already towards retirement, or starting to get there, mm -hmm. and he's just having a father-daughter moment with Barbara, you know, she's saying, oh, you know, that must be my friend from across the way at the door. Right. I'll go check. And lo and behold, it's the Joker. Man, this was the moment that I knew that this Joker was just beyond brutal and didn't care about anything or anyone. I mean, no, no questions, no nothing. Just open the door, sees her, pop, pulls the trigger. Barbara's on the ground. Her dad comes, comes in screaming, you know, and yelling. And it's just very, brutal and savage and it just shows you how serious this Joker is. Oh, he's, he's very calculating and complete disregard. Not to say that villains follow rules, but Right. I feel like even some villains have a code, and mm -hmm. the Joker, of course, just does not. And this is, like you said, a perfect example of how he can just go completely ballistic mm -hmm. and be very brutal. And and like you said, when we were talking before the show, you were talking about some of the jokes he was making after he shoots her. <laughs> Those were pretty brutal. Oh, yeah, he compared her to uh, to a butt spine. He right. said that this one seems to be bent or broken. Right. In fact, it's not going to be a very good use or resale value uh, or something to that effect. And yeah, I mean, it's just, he is completely cranked up the crazy right. in this particular graphic novel. And honestly, I mean, and this is a very iconic scene from this storyline. Sets up her character for quite a while into the future of comics, honestly. She does end up becoming paralyzed from it and becomes like a computer genius and, and ends up going on to work for Batman, but a story from her another time. And she, correct me if I'm wrong, Charlie, ultimately ends up becoming known as the Oracle. Is that yes, right? Yes, that's correct. And so from there, we kind of fade back into the past and we see uh, some more beautiful black and white artwork done but this time with a little bit of a twist mm -hmm. so we get just a hint of the color red and so there's some red in the shrimp that is on the table being enjoyed by this motley crew mob guys of course at this right. point we find out that the joker has been kind of down on his luck they're having a hard time paying the rent i believe they're behind by a couple months on the rent payments they're starting mm -hmm. to rack up he needs a big job or he needs this this big steal or theft to try and make it out just like you would see most of the, the mob back in the 1930s they were all about that that one big hit that one big robbery that right. set him up for life and it honestly i mean it it felt almost like i mean not to say that he was a good guy or anything but it felt like he was trying to make an honest living and take care of his wife and his unborn child by you know doing stand-up comedy and it wasn't working out for him and and so he falls in with this group of i guess they're mobsters basically but i really like the way that uh, what's his name Boland I really like the way that he whenever they're in the middle of the story when they're showing a flashback or, or a history type scene it goes from full color panels to the black and white or the black and white with like one or two colors throughout and then the rest of the story the present time is in full color and it just helped to distinguish what's now and what's in the past and it's really pretty because it almost doesn't even look black and 
white and until you hold it up against the light and just really look at it and see that there's no color because it's right it, it's weird how they do it it almost looks like they were originally colored and they changed it to a black and white versus seeing something that was always in black and white you know what i mean absolutely and i think another cool part in just about every panel if you if you really look for it because sometimes it's easy to blaze through a graphic novel because you're so excited to read it and right so you don't always especially that first time through you may not pick up on some background images or coinciding characters that right. aren't important by any means but if you look at it it's kind of like easter eggs when you're watching a marvel film mm-hmm. or a dc film um, and there was one in this particular flashback scene where they're in the the restaurant or bar there mm-hmm. and they bring up hey you know we've got this this red hood that you can wear this red helmet and he's like oh is that like the, the red hood mob clan right and so they start to explain the importance of wearing this red helmet and they say oh yeah we only reserve this for our most valuable mob guy right and you can tell that they're essentially lying through their teeth and just making a, a joke of him it's almost like they're razzing the new guy basically essentially and you get this little moment this little niche moment of a gentleman in the table behind them where he is almost kind of making a, a coughing noise mm. and when i first read through it i initially just thought that that's all he was doing he was just maybe you know he ate his food too fast or was having a moment right but the more that i, I read the the lines and looked at the panel i noticed no he's scoffing he's laughing like yeah. no jokes on that guy like yeah sure it's for the most valuable monster right right um, and again that's just a testament to boland i think he did a great job of, of showing the the emotions panel to panel and the realism it right. really give you a, a sense that you know this could, could actually happen yeah and i don't know if you're this way or not but i will say that generally when i read a comic book i will read it and the first time i go through it i'm more looking at the words and the, the conversation and reading through that and then a lot of times i'll go back and i'll read through it a second time and that's when i'll look at the pictures and really go through and look at all the different art and the different scenery more so the second time than the first time for me i think i'm the same way i typically will try to get the meaning and as much of the script as possible right the first time through and then i do like to go through the second or third time and really like you said take my time and look at every panel every corner right because again when you're going through a graphic novel especially it's easy to let your eyes wander and go to prettier scenes or more iconic lines right or what have you um, as opposed to you know analyzing every panel mm-hmm. frame for frame or incline for incline right um, and then from there you know we get to see a very distraught barbara that we flash back of course to the present mm-hmm. and we see a very distraught barbara in the hospital and you can tell right away that this is not like other times where they because of course she and Batman have had other run-ins with the Joker. This isn't the first time. Right. But you can get the sense that he's really lost at this time because she said, Bruce, you, you didn't see the look in his eyes. He's got he's got Jim, he's got my father, he's got Dad. Mm-hmm. You, you've got you've to save him. He's going to go all the way this time, and he's not going to stop. Right, right. Because when they find Barbara, Batman finds Barbara, he basically finds her on the floor in their apartment having been shot. Jim Gordon's not anywhere to be seen, and she wakes up, and she's alone, or she's with Batman and that's when you realize that they they pretty much just left her for dead and the Joker took her dad and is doing what we presume to be torturing him. That's exactly what we see in the next couple of pages as we get what can best be described as some of the creepiest carny folks that you would probably ever imagine in a comic book or a graphic novel and again that's just a testament to Boland's talent as an artist I think in the introduction someone had mentioned that it was a beautiful marriage between 
they said that Alan Moore essentially found his equal when it comes to artwork yeah. in Brian Boland, and I think that's totally true mm-hmm. because you just get such raw emotion in each character's face and the little details that he penciled in or inked in for the Joker's expressions. He just he nailed right. every emotion. I thought like when you look at Jim Gordon, you can see visibly just how like sometimes it's implied how terrified characters are mm-hmm. in comic books, but I think in this particular deluxe edition, you you know right away it's like that's what I would look like if. <laughs> If I were terrified, right? Yeah, and and going back to to the scene where they find Barbara in the apartment and everything. Actually, it's not Batman that finds her. It's, I guess it's just other cops. But they find her and she's naked in the apartment. And when they're telling Batman what they found, and they tell him that they found her undressed, and he like immediately like questions undressed. And later on, you realize going back to Jim Gordon and the Joker and them like you know torturing him and stuff you realize the reason she was undressed is because they took a whole bunch of pictures of her and they put him on this like roller coaster and he goes through and he's being forced to see all these nude pictures of his own daughter and stuff and it was just it just really shows you how messed up and brutal this Joker is right and and almost demented it it kind of in a a weird sort of way reminded me of that boat scene from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory right cranked up to 11 Right. And uh, a whole lot more uncomfortable because the Joker's even singing very creepily to his own tune. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, in this one, everything is dialed up to the max uh, as far as the Joker's concerned. The fear, you know, just that real sense of, is Jim Gordon going to make it through this? Right. Yeah, and I I half expected him not to. I was not wanting him not to, but like, uh, there were, I mean, there were definite surprises that I didn't remember. I thought that Barbara Gordon died in this story for some reason for the longest time and then reading it until I got finished with it I thought I halfway thought that Jim Gordon was gonna die like you just said and then it was just I mean it was it was a very edge edge of your seat story and there wasn't a time where I was bored or anything like that no it grabs your attention from the the intro and and keeps it until the very end right really I think in a lot of ways leaves you wanting more I would have gladly want you know wished this one to be 200 pages just like the watch Definitely. or V for Vendetta, you know, along that same line. But of course, I think on the same hand, for what it is, that also adds to it just being such a classic because it is so short. And right. yet, I feel like they got it absolutely right. I don't think they left anything out. Oh, no. And I, the only reason you or I wanted more is just because we enjoyed the story so much. Right. Because it ends perfectly fine. Uh, still, it's just like, man, I would have loved to have seen even more of that. Like, right. It, I, ends, it ends perfectly fine, and it does have an ending. But at the same time, you could see where they could have just kept going with the the storyline. And I think we all would have been all right with that. Right. And so then, of course, from Jim Gordon being obviously tortured to his near wit's end by the Joker, we go back in time a little bit, and uh, we realize that the Joker at one point was, of course, just a person like the rest of us in a way. And we get a very real sad scene where he's just about to do the job. The whole reason he's doing this job is to provide for his wife and provide for his soon-to-be child. Right. And then, of course, he's pulled out by the cops. It's kind of one of those situations where he thinks, do they already know what's going on here? 
here. And that's actually not the case at all. It turns out to be very sad news that his wife and child, soon to be child, had passed away in a electrical explosion, I believe it was. Yeah, that was a short fuse from warming up a baby bottle. That was weird, and I honestly, when I first read that, because it was the guys that are hiring him for this job that tell him that, and like I half expected them to just be telling him that so that he'd finish the job instead of, you know, giving up and going home or whatever. But then you never hear about the wife again and the kid. And so I guess we just take that as, yeah, they were serious. Oh, it did. It was a very serious. She did. A very serious, yeah, she, she gone. It's a very serious moment because you can see in the two panels that follow the breaking news, him just, you know, slunched over. Right. Like a, kind of like a, what? I, I can't believe this has happened. And he tries to get out mm-hmm. of the robbery and says, well, the whole reason I was doing this is, is for them. Like, I, I don't need to, to do this anymore. And of course, they reiterate, you don't understand. We've made you an offer you can't refuse. Like, right. If you don't do this, you'll be sleeping with the fishes, you know, right next to her. Right. So, of course, he has to go through with this big theft and from there you know we go back and forth between flashbacks and the carnival where he's still very visibly torturing jim gordon to no end right and eventually we get to another flashback scene where it really come to kind of the the middle of this graphic novel i don't want to say the climax because that's for sure the battle between he and batman right but at least the the middle ground here of this this short graphic novel and that is arguably probably the most iconic panels and that's where it literally shows how the Joker became to be the Joker. So right. you see him going through his old factory or I believe uh, it wasn't a warehouse per se but a chemical plant right. that's connected to a playing card factory and so those two just go hand in hand conveniently together mm-hmm. of course and the whole job is for him to try and get through the chemical plant with these mobsters. He knows the routes. He used to work at the chemical plant before he became a stand-up comic Right. and then they're going to rob the vault in the playing card factory. There's supposed to be a big score in there right and of course they're thwarted by security that they thought weren't supposed to be there and the mobsters end up getting taken out by security of course the joker is able to make it off but batman shows up to try and save the day as he often does and says mm-hmm. hey that's enough with the shooting we'll do things my way i'll bring him in by the book i got this right and of course the joker's character freaks out and says don't come any closer or i'll uh, i'll i'll jump <laughs> right he takes that acid bath comes out on the other side and from there you just get a, a wonderful panel transition done so beautifully again by Bullard mm-hmm. and you just see him start to change from this comedian on the rocks that just lost his family right. to somebody that just starts to realize that you know this is all just like are you kidding me this is you know life's just a big joke mm-hmm. and then you get that ever iconic you know laughter panel where he's just officially lost his mind right and they even say that it bleaches his skin turns his hair green and he starts bleeding from his eyes I've thought that was just an interesting little detail that I didn't remember from that but I mean it's it's crazy but it's a very iconic scene and anybody or most anybody that knows anything about the Joker recognizes that that scene and from there of course we go back to present day where he's now got Jim Gordon in a cage and he's essentially belittling him Mm -hmm. to the family of crazy carnies that he's pulled together here at the carnival and it's just another beautiful panel scene by 
Boland, where he just does a great job throughout this entire graphic novel, to be perfectly honest, but especially here, he shows in great detail all of the different personalities and emotions of the Joker, mm-hmm. panel by panel, because he's, the Joker is making different points in each panel about Jim Gordon, saying how pathetic he is, how he's an average man, and through this averageness, he tries to pretend that he lives in this irrational world, and he believes in reality, and it's all just a joke, right. and just from you know shot to shot, frame to frame, it's just a, a great representation of the multifaceted personalities that the Joker has. Right, definitely. And really, from there, uh, we pretty much go into the final battle between him and between the Joker and Batman, which, I mean, yeah, they, they scuffle a little bit, but it's more of a battle of wits and battle of words. I think that's just a classic back and forth between these two characters. You know, it's like we talked about before the show, we thought back to those scenes from The Dark Knight where Heath Ledger was like, we're destined to do this forever. You know, right. This is what happens when an immovable object meets an unstoppable force. Right. You know? Which, I mean, and in The Dark Knight, I just thought that was an awesome and, and poetic scene or, or line for him to give just because of the, you know, it's been 80 plus years of Batman and, and the Joker together fighting against each other. It's just very iconic. Oh, no doubt. And I think in this graphic novel especially, we, in this climax, this battle scene, we get that dichotomy between the two characters. Of course, you know, Batman has his one rule and has a certain way and structure in which he, he lives his life. And he's mm-hmm. very much so by the book hero and vigilante. He brings Definitely. justice on his terms. Whereas the Joker, as we've already mentioned throughout the entire podcast, is quite literally the definition of chaos. Right. And you just, he's unpredictable. He's a wild card, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. You, you just never know what to expect, and that's why he's such a arguably the most formidable villain that Batman's ever had. Right, and plus, I mean, you know, going back to saying that it was more of a battle of words or what have you, that just it kind of gets reiterated by uh, Jim Gordon, like you were saying, when he was saying, you know, we no, we need to bring him in by the book. We need to do this the right way. And you're thinking, man, after everything you've been through and what he did to your daughter, and, and you're still just, let's do it by the book. I mean, that's like the definition of an honorable, ethical character. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. His moral compass is golden. Right. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then from there, uh, of course, it winds up being that we reach an impasse where, of course, we go back to where we began. And that is Batman saying the same line of, I've been thinking about talking to you and having a talk, and it's about the fact of this back and forth. Mm -hmm. Are we going to kill each other? Am I going to kill you? Are you going to kill me? I'm starting to realize that I think it's the latter and that I may have to to be the one that that takes you out. Right. And from there, of course... And it's kind of like the Joker wants that, too. I mean, very accepting of it, honestly. He is, and I was going to say from there he he does more or less say like oh okay well if this is my moment do you have time for a joke right <laughs> yeah. how fitting of course you know it aptly named of course the killing joke mm-hmm. uh, we we end with this joke about two gentlemen that are stuck in an insane asylum who are trying to break out they've had it being in the madhouse and they both make it up to the rooftop of the asylum and the first guy without hesitation jumps across the gap between the next building over to continue their daring escape and the second guy says hey where are you going and he's like oh sorry well hold on let me get my flashlight and I'll shoot the beam across between the two buildings and you can walk over on that. And the second guy says what do you think I'm crazy? You'll turn the light off halfway when I'm on my way across. <laughs> right. Which is just silly on the face of it but anyway. And it's, yeah. As a joke I mean it works. It's it funny. Does, it, it, does. It, it makes you laugh. I know I, I laughed at it. I did too. 
too. It was funny. And admittedly, of course, Batman gives a little chuckle himself. We see that little one bubble panel of him going, right. <laughs> but even Batman mm-hmm. thought, thought it was funny. And from there, the Joker laughs maniacally, and the last thing that it looks like that we see is Batman plunging his fist. Uh, it looks more or less in the heart region. Uh, you know, it might maybe be a different area, but from what I can see in this last one to final panels, it looks like he very much thrusts towards his chest with his hand. Now, whether or not he's got a batarang, or whether he uses some kind of one-touch killing pressure point, right. hard to say, but it very much looks like he delivers the killing blow after the joke. Right, which would be fitting. It, it would, it would um, be very fitting. But yeah, since reading it again, I've looked up different videos online of people talking about the book and everything, and apparently that's a big question that was left at the end of it was, did Batman kill him or, or not? Which I didn't really have that question at the end of it until I saw those videos and, and then re-looked at the panel and everything. Uh, but yeah, that's apparently a big question that people have about the ending. And I think it's a fair question to ask because if you really you know, close the book, take some time back and, and sit back to think about it, mm-hmm. it does really go against everything that Batman stands for. You know, right. As awful and as terrible as the Joker has been over their time, it's still, you know, he's got that one rule. Right. And that's that he still, you know, even Jim Gordon said, bring him in by the book. Right. You know, so it still definitely could be very much so up in the air as to whether or not he actually delivered a killing blow. He may have just delivered a blow to stop his heart or knock him out. Right. And bring him into justice. But we right. don't really get to see that. So that, that's a fair question. Yeah, it is. And been wondering myself since then. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's just the, the best way to end it, though, is on that sort of leave it to your imagination. You can make up your own mind. As most often graphic novels do the the best job of you having that thought-provoking moment of, hmm, what does this mean? What, right. what does it all mean? And that really ends this particular graphic novel. Again, it's not very long. It's less than 50 pages, to the, mm. to the best of my knowledge. There is a, a nice afterword by the artist, Boland himself, and he even takes a little different turn on it and does some extra panel work and uh, tells a little right. after story. Right. So when I was reading it, I, I first thought it was still part of the story, but then it didn't really fit in, and I was like, what is this. Right, and if you're not careful, but, if you flip too quick, it, it could very much go right. that way, where you're like, well, wait a minute, what, who's this guy, and what's happens this part of the, the, the graphic novel? So you do have to be careful to look for that solid black, in the deluxe edition, at least, that we both own. Right. Um, there is that nice, sleek black in between the afterward mm-hmm. that sets up, and then, of course, his own little story at the end, uh, just as some added filler, I think, and just a, a neat little way to, to do an afterward. You don't often see that for an afterward. It's usually just more verbal right. than uh, visual, you might say. So, Charlie, in true nerdy by nature fashion here, we have to, whenever we do a comic book run or a movie review, go ahead and give this one some nerds on a scale right. of one to five. Five, of course, being the best, iconic, game-changing, you know, couldn't have comic books without this comic. Where does Batman the Killing Joke fall on our nerdy by nature scale for you? I mean, honestly, in my opinion, I would probably give it a four out of five. And the only reason that I wouldn't go five is just that, I mean, it's compact and it's one story and so it works but to me it still feels short and I just wanted more so that's really the only criticism I really have for it. I think that's fair and to be honest I think 
I'm on the same page with you. When I was thinking it over before the show, I came, the number I kept coming back to was four. Just four nerds feels mm-hmm. right. You can't quite give it five because, again, for length, I don't think it's quite as in-depth as, say, The Watchmen or V for Vendetta. Right. Uh, or even if you go into, over to Frank Miller for The Dark Knight Returns, you know, I just I don't think it quite has as much grit, you know, as that mm-hmm. that book had. Like those, in my opinion, are some that we would give four and a half or five. Right. Because they are so iconic and they were game changers. And don't get me wrong. This is an important graphic novel. Oh, now yeah. And more. I mean, when it comes to storytelling and setting up a world and characters and making you think outside the box, he does that every time. And again, it's beautifully drawn by Boland. I mean, just the amount of emotion that he's able to fit on 2D you know, from panel to panel right. is incredible. So it's definitely worth the read if you haven't read it and you fast-forwarded through and you're wanting our recommendation as to whether or not you should pick up a copy. Absolutely. Go for the hardcover. Spend a little bit more. You'll be glad that you did. Yeah, especially this deluxe edition, it's just a a great add to any comic book collection. I think absolutely, I would agree with that one hundred percent. And so that'll really wrap things up for us here on this edition of Nerdy by Nature. So of course, as we mentioned at the top of the show, be sure to keep be on the lookout for our next episode, our twelfth, the Dirty Dozen episode for (laughs) us, and we're going to be going over the film Joker, featuring Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. Also contains Robert De Niro and. Zazzy Beats, so some nameable actors there. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited for this one. I know you are as well, Charlie, and I think we're not really quite sure just what to expect. Cautiously optimistic, the way I like to put it. That's that, that's as fair as anybody could say, I think. <laughs> and so for that, you know, be sure to hit that like button, share this with everybody that you can, and feel free to leave us a comment. There is still time for you to be the first. Uh, let us know what you'd like to hear, or maybe even some things that you agreed with, disagreed with, and we would be happy to respond and have that discussion. So, again, thank you for listening. As always, signing off, I'm Agent Smith. And I'm Captain Rogers. God bless.